everyone, and welcome to All Things Football. Well, it's not really All Things Football. We're doing something different today, actually. Uh, Derek and Shelby aren't with us. It's just me and Maher. Hi. But we're going <laughs> to try a new concept. So we've had some issues um, the last week getting everybody together to record. Shelby's been very busy with his musical career. Derek has a young family. It's very hard to get all of us together. So we're looking at trying something new and uh, maybe doing one football show a week and then one of these a week. And I'm excited to tell you what it is. But but I'm going to wait a second. Maher, you want to go ahead and give them the name? Give them the name of this. We're going to call, you know, and I, I think that I'm, I'm the best namer ever, the best and the it, greatest. It was his name. That's names. why I want to give him credit. It's We're calling it... Turdy for turdy. Turdy for turdy. A stupid version of 30 for 30 brought to you by all things football. Turdy for turdy is the, like he said, is the name of our show. It's stupid 30 for 30. I go around the internet and some books that I have and wherever you can find a good story and, you know, write it all down and get it ready to go and then tell the, the story to Maher where we can kind of crack jokes about it and give you all a little information you might or might not have known before. Ooh, I like learning. It hurts, though. That's right. We've gone from just doing a football podcast to a podcast where you're going to learn something, either forcefully or by choice. <laughs> learning boarding. <laughs> learning boarding, yes. So, with further, without further ado, I almost said with further ado. That <laughs> well, makes no well, sense. I like the further ado. Is that or further ado? Does that mean we just sit here for a couple of minutes and talk about nothing? It's before? when you're talking to Freddie Ado, and then you take like <laughs> ten steps backwards, and now he's further ado. Ah, uh, just like his career. Yeah, he did like to take steps backwards every year. <laughs> All right, so with the, let's get this started. I'm not going to say without further ado again. Um, so our story takes place in the year 1982. Ooh, neither one of us were, neither one of us were alive then, so I want to give you some context to what the year 1982 had to offer the world. Uh, the biggest songs of 1982 are two of my favorites I like to listen to in the shower in the morning to get me amped up. We've got Olivia Newton-John's Physical and Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Um, the, be the, the biggest movie of the time, the box office hit of the year was E.T. And that was the year that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, if you can believe that actually happened. I didn't know that ever happened. I thought they were like a team that had never made it. Yeah, they, they went there once and got smashed by the 49ers and then were never allowed at another Super Bowl again. Because... <laughs> It's already decided everything's fixed. So that year it was like, hey, let's give them a shot. Nope, never mind. Okay. All right. So in 1982, a New Orleans legend, David Dixon, um, he's the reason I call him a legend. He's the guy that brought the Saints to New Orleans. He uh, was instrumental in getting the Superdome built in New Orleans. And he owned a really nice art and antique shop in the French Quarter. I but, didn't know any of this stuff. And I'm a Saints fan, supposedly. 
Yeah, he wasn't actually the owner of the team, which is what I was trying to figure out a little while ago. He wasn't actually the owner of the team. He uh, was just the one that kind of came up with the plan to get an NFL team to New Orleans in 1966. Pick up sticks. But anyway, <laughs> in 1982, he had another big mission. And that mission was to create a springtime football league that would not directly compete with the NFL, but was rather there to keep football going year-round. That league was called the USFL. Oh, I'm pretty sure I just heard something about this. Um, you might have uh, Jeff Perlman, uh, an author, a sports author, just came out with a new book about the USFL, and oh. he's been promoting it, so he's been on some shows and stuff. I'm really excited you picked this topic because... I it's something I wanted to know about and it was really interested by but know nothing about it and Well that's good. It's it's yeah. better if you know nothing and, and about it. I wanted to learn more about it so now it's just being shoved down my throat. So, you know, everybody loves that. <laughs> oh, you you got me off track with the shoved down your throat. You got me excited. Uh no, so the like I said, the USFL was it was it was going to be created not to compete with the NFL. The original plan was to just put football in the springtime because they're like, hey, the people that watch football really love football, so if we give it to them year round, they're going to watch it. And so David Dixon went to New York City on May 11th, of 1982, and announced this league. Um, it was originally made up of 12 teams in major markets. Uh, the first franchises included New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, Tampa Bay, Oakland, Denver, Philadelphia, uh, Phoenix, and then the biggest market of them all, Birmingham. Wow. The, you said big market. I am pretty sure that <laughs> Phoenix, while a big city, like everybody there just kind of lives in caves and only comes out at night. And um, Birmingham somehow is like the seat of a lot of football junk even though i don't i think like everybody that lives in birmingham hates their life and just was like oh man i live in birmingham every single day when i wake up i just found that really funny because uh, when i was reading that it was like it went to all these major markets and then it listed all these that's like and birmingham and when when you say birmingham i don't think like bustling cityscape hey they got a lot of sec stuff down there they did have the biggest stadium in the uh in the uh, in the league to start off with at seventy seven thousand. Wow, does that place still exist? Because I feel like I've never heard about this stadium. And it was called game. Legion Field, and it held seventy seven thousand people, and um, it got really crowded at nights for the USFL to the tune of twenty two thousand people. Oh, its average wow. percentage of Wait. stadium filled was twenty nine percent. Wow, here's the question though. Did they build that stadium just for the USFL or was it existing for whatever other thing was 77,000 people in Birmingham? No, it actually um it was actually created or built in 1927. Oh. <laughs> we built it, this thing thinking people were going to move here before I didn't AC really was plan on going into this, but just some side story <laughs> about Legion Field is uh like I said, it's built in 1927. It also housed um, the 1996 uh, Olympic soccer matches, some of them, okay. since that was in Atlanta. So just a side note. And it's the home of the Iron Bowl. How, um, 
how terrible, you know, would you feel if you're like in the Olympics playing soccer and it's like, oh, we're all in Atlanta. And it's like, oh, you got to go play in Birmingham. And they're like, all these foreign <laughs> people are like, oh, what is Birmingham? And you go there like, would you oh, play no. me in Birmingham? <laughs> are we still in America? <laughs> Make it look just the way I Why play. is that guy sitting on his front porch with a shotgun? Um, some other interesting things about the USFL that don't really pertain to our story, but are fun to talk about are some of the team names like the Chicago Blitz, the Oakland Invaders, which sounds nothing like the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> the, the Arizona, yeah, that was my reaction too. I was like, huh, real original Oakland. Oh, man. Um, the Arizona Wranglers, which is like an all-time name for me. I love that, the Wranglers. There used to be an arena football team in Austin called the Wranglers, and they were by far my favorite. They still have the Arizona Wranglers. Isn't that the um, that group that the Sheriff Joe, what's his name, uh, wrangled up? <laughs> yeah, that's the one where they go and lasso criminals and then stick them in a little, like, 4 by 4 cage in the middle of the desert. Hey, boys, we're going illegal wrestling. Uh, then you've got Denver Gold. Okay, that actually. And then you, a pretty like regional name. Yeah, and then you just have some really basic names like Los Angeles Express, Washington Federals, New Jersey Generals. Oh, Boston Breakers. We can't forget that one. Okay. What was the Birmingham team again? The Birmingham Stallions. Okay. Some uh, coaches that you might have heard of that coached in the original USFL are. Jim Mora, Ooh. George Allen was the coach of the Chicago Blitz, Redskins of Redskins Hall of Fame, um, and the Tampa Bay Bandits coach was Steve Spurrier. Wow, I think I had heard about that. Um, I just I wonder if Steve Spurrier thought he was like making a move up or, you know, I'm moving on up to Tampa. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, when they first announced that the, the the when they first announced the league, there wasn't a commissioner yet. Um, yes, David Dixon was the founder, but he wasn't going to hold the commissioner role. So um, a couple of weeks after they announced it, actually the head of ESPN was named the commissioner of the league, and their uh, their games would be televised on ABC and ESPN. Huh, that all seems like things that are going pretty well. Especially if you have, you know, invested interest from a television person. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the start of it sounds really good. Because uh, in the first year, the biggest name in the league was Herschel Walker. Oh, wow. Uh, so I, they basically, impressive. yeah, they basically pulled up to him in Georgia with bags of money and got him to, to sign on with the league pretty quickly after it was announced. Uh, he left Georgia a year early to sign with the New Jersey Generals. How did they afford these, all these people with this brand new league that I can't imagine have you know, having any real liquid? So, so the owners that they got for these teams were actually very wealthy and put up a lot of money up front, which totally won't be a problem later on. <laughs> But they put up a lot of money up front, so that's how they were able to do this. <clears throat> um, like I said, he left for the money. Obviously, it was it was much it was much more than he would have made in the NFL at the time. Um, and so I was researching 
about how they got Herschel Walker, and I actually found this article from the Washington Post. Uh, this is an actual article a couple of days after he left Georgia, and so I'm going to read you a part of it here. Sad day for Georgia. Sad day for the South. Happy day for Herschel Walker. That was the opening sentence. <laughs> Who wrote that? Like a special needs child? <laughs> I'm not sure. It sounds like a guy that was kind of like, uh, he, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like Michael Scott in the office when with his diary, when he's like, uh, tan everywhere, Jan everywhere. I was thinking of uh, Charlie writing from It's Always Sunny. Good, good reference. That makes sense to you. Um, <laughs> and so then, so I, I wasn't going to actually include anything in this article because it was nothing of substance, but then it got weird. They went and got some quotes from a couple of people at the University of Georgia. Um, and Roberta Harris said, I wish Herschel all the luck in the world. Since he was here, Georgia put up new lights and added 20,000 seats to Sanford Stadium. But he's still a naive country boy in many ways. If he signed with the USFL because he wanted to, I think he did the right thing. If he did it because he was pressured or manipulated, then that's different. Money doesn't manipulate people. I don't know what she's talking about. And then <laughs> she like goes on later to say, I just wish it was the NFL because that league is established. I think of the USFL as some sort of minor league. And then later on, uh, one of his teammates also made a reference to how they thought he was maybe like coaxed into signing with the league. So what bothered me about that is it really sounded like everybody that knew him didn't think he could make up his mind enough to like decide to do that himself. They act like he was just a stupid I, dumb guy that you throw some money in front of it. He's like, oh, okie dokie, I'll leave Georgia. To be fair, though, you're not thinking long term when you're a kid, you know, you're probably in, you know, 20, 21. And yeah. you, you have your whole family, you know, knowing that you're going to make money at some point, especially if you're Herschel Walker. And he just probably saw the biggest paycheck and was like, OK, I mean, to be honest, though, of all the people like that would be in a good situation, he'd probably be one of them. Right. Like, oh, this doesn't pan out. I'm just going to go to the NFL. Like, yeah, not absolutely. really anybody else could do that or a handful of people could do that. Like he could do that. I mean, it was, in my opinion, it was totally the right decision, though, to do that because he was going to make more than he would have made in the NFL. It was guaranteed money. And why stay at Georgia another year when he had pretty much done everything you could do? Like, people knew what kind of talent he was. So go ahead and get your paycheck because that's what you're going to be doing for your whole life anyway. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. So, <clears throat> anyway, back to the league as a whole. The league averaged more than 24,000 fans per game. That was pretty close to what Dixon had originally forecasted when he started it up. And both ABC and ESPN were pleased with the ratings generated by the circuit. For all intents and purposes, in, in that aspect of like getting people to watch it, the league was working. You gotta, you know, you really want those tents and porpoises. <laughs> tents and porpoises. Uh, only the Denver Gold, who topped the league in attendance, and the Tampa Bay Bandits that had the famous Steve Spurrier managed to escape large financial losses so you think here's a i'm sorry to like cut you off but you think mm. like the steve spurrier thing for florida was just like huh 
Who do you think people would just go see even though they know nothing about this? Hey, let's put in Steve Spurrier. Well, I mean, you have to think this is before he got really famous. This was like the start of his career, so. But he was already famous as being like a, a Florida, you know, legend because didn't he play? Yeah, anywhere? yeah, he was a or player a as a player. Yeah, this was like his the beginning of his coaching career, though. Yeah, but I mean, he had he had credibility in the state at least. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right about that. Uh, so only those two teams didn't suffer financial losses. So the league was popular and was doing well nationally, but it wasn't bringing in enough money to cover the losses that they had created at the first by spending so much up front. Like women's basketball. <laughs> Just like women's basketball, most of the shortfalls were due to larger-than-expected player salaries. Yeah, well, so... <laughs> Because the, the those like, poor women only get paid like twenty dollars a game, so that was that was the, the irony thing, there. The, the one thing I do know about that is, it's like, yeah, they were first. They were gonna be like, we'll keep it competitive. We'll like have you know, we'll have like more streamlined salaries and stuff. And then they go and they just throw like their whole checkbook at like five people. Yeah. <laughs> On a side note, the women's basketball players do get screwed. Have you ever looked at their salaries, like how much they get paid? It's it's embarrassing. Well, that's like, why they play year round, and they, they go deserve over to more China. than what they get for sure. So yeah, okay. uh, the Philadelphia Stars won the championship the first year. Uh, that'll be a common theme for the first few years, but but they ended up winning the championship. And going into 1984. The league was popular, but needed some new money streams, money sources. So they brought in new teams, new owners, and new players in order to make that, that, that money. They were making money moves. Okay. So, so joining the league... Were playing, would you say they were playing money ball? Well, yeah, if you wad your money up and just toss it out a window. <laughs> well, they should have just made the football out of money, you know? <laughs> Uh, joining the league the next year, you had the Houston Gamblers, the Memphis Showboats, the Pittsburgh Maulers. That's an all-time name to you. That's a pretty good one. Is it That's like M A L L or M A M A U L? Not like not like mall rats hanging out the malls like Maulers, like we're gonna bludgeon you over the head. The San Antonio Gunslingers, the Oklahoma Outlaws, and the Jacksonville Bulls. Um, the Breakers, and the, okay, this is weird to me. The Breakers moved from Boston to New Orleans. But what's weird about that to me is if Dixon was originally from New Orleans, was the guy that got the Superdome and the Saints there, it's weird that he didn't automatically have a team put in New Orleans once this league started. That is true. I mean, so when they built the, I don't want to get off topic, but the Superdome, was that built specifically for? For the whatever? Saints in the 60s. Oh, okay. So... Side tangent, I don't have this written down. I just kind of briefly researched this a second ago. But um, he knew that the NFL would be popular in New Orleans because of how popular two-lane football games were. So he wanted to bring a team in originally and not have to build a stadium. He, they just wanted to use two-lanes football stadium. But the college wouldn't allow football on Sundays and were very strict on that policy. So then when they wouldn't allow people to play in their stadium on Sundays, he obviously had to find a way to get a stadium in the city. Ah, uh, good old Catholic university that has lots of money. 
Yeah, so that was the reason. That was basically Tulane not allowing the Saints to play in their stadium on Sunday is the way that the Superdome was built. I also think it's funny that at one point Tulane was, like, relevant. Yeah, just like remember, or I mean, obviously you don't remember because it was so many years ago, but Army and Navy and those uh, the military schools used to be, be relevant too. Yeah, well, that was when, like, people actually wanted to join the military. Yeah, in the the good old 1930s and 40s. National pride. Uh, that year, the league signed the top college football player, Mike Rozier. Um, and while that's not a name you remember, there are a few names, a few other players that they signed that might be a little more memorable, including Jim Kelly, Reggie White, and Steve Young. Oh, I didn't know all of those people were in that. Yeah, I mean they were getting they were getting talent because the owners were paying so much to get the talent there. So much of it was given on player salaries that after the first year, half of the original owners had all sold their team due to players' expenses. Yeah, I don't see. That's the thing is like I, I feel like they know what they're getting, right? They know they're only getting a certain amount of people, but they're still getting all these huge people to play. And it's like you think all these like big names look around and be like, I was playing in front of more people in college. Yeah, well, but they were making that money. Like, it, it would be really hard to be, you know, yes, the NFL was more popular, but if I'm Steve Young and it's like I can go make a couple of hundred thousand dollars in the NFL or I can go make a million in the USFL and won't have as many people watch me, but I'm still going to make more more money, you're going to take the money like most people would. Wasn't he the one, this is uh, that, like, on the spot his – his agent put the team on the spot or something and made them like give them a bunch of money at the last minute um, or am I confusing I forgot who that was I know what you're talking about I don't think that was Steve Young but um, I don't know I apologize that. if I stole your thunder yeah, and the, the, I do kind of remember a story about like an agent, like them showing up and basically the agent held the team hostage until they paid him extra money. Like at the press conference. Yeah, right before the press conference. I just don't know off the top of my head what player that was. Well, you're useless. I know. Damn it, we need Shelby here to fact check. Fact um, check? Fact check. So player salaries were high because they were in an arms race with the NFL. And then, they, like I said, they brought in some new owners. Uh, one of those new owners that came in was a famous real estate mogul. He bought the New Jersey Generals, and his name was Donald Trump. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you telling me that our current United States president was a business mogul? I am. I mean, I don't know about, you know, everybody else, but, you know, I, I, I'm real excited to know that, you know, how many other, you know, presidents have we had that owned professional sports teams? Yeah, none that I can think of off the top of my head. Hey, and you know, what's funny is they were the generals and now he's, you know, the, the commander in chief and I was going to say general, <laughs> but as I talked, I was like, Oh no, he's the commander. I knew where you were going to go with it. So I wanted to steal your thunder first. Oh, no. Well, you trumped me on that one. So one of the main reasons they wanted to bring in Trump was he had a steadier flow of cash than most of the other owners, and he brought publicity with him. And so I found a New York Times article that kind of 
shows you what the the circus was around around Trump when he entered the league. Wait, you telling me this man had a circus around him? I don't believe you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was all fun and games till his elephant smashed Steve uh, Doug Flutie. Almost said Steve Young again. Does oh <laughs> so. Here's what the article said, and, and we're, I'm going to just take you through. I'm actually going to read most of this article, but we can talk about it as we go because there's so much good information in here. So when members of the media or people that were involved with the USFL went to go see Donald Trump, you couldn't just go see him. There was a whole process you had to go through. And no, it's not what you're thinking of, like calling and making a, a – uh, like a, what's the word I'm looking for here? An appointment? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Okay, I went, that You were struggling <laughs> on a word that is very common. A very common word. I, I, that's the problem when you start trying to read through a whole story. Your brain just kind of goes dead on, on thinking off the fly there. Um, so before you could see Donald Trump, you had to sit through an eight-minute slideshow about Trump Tower and Donald Trump. So one was ushered into a plush room, but everything about Donald Trump's tower was plush. It had a six-story high atrium with a waterfall. Well, can I? The, when you say plush, I'm imagining him having giant, like, stuffed animals. I know no, that's no, not no. what you mean, but like the walls were all made of plushy animal parts. <laughs> pet the um, furry walls, Donald. <laughs> pet the furry walls. One funny thing about the waterfall that I didn't include in here, but I read today as I was going through some of this stuff. The reporters used to bitch about how the waterfall was too loud all the time. So, like, all these press conferences and, like, interviews they did in Trump Tower, he would make them do in the uh, the atrium, and they would always complain that they couldn't hear because of the waterfall. I imagine you, like, listening to it or something on a broadcast, and then all of a sudden you just hear this, like, constant, like, rushing water. <laughs> I feel very soothed. Whoosh, I have to whoosh, pee. Whoosh, whoosh. Yeah. Imagine having to do like a pee-pee dance while they were sitting there waiting for him to get through his conversation. Like everybody just doing that little or, jig. Or like sc- screaming over each other like because there's just this roaring waterfall in the background. Master Trump! Why do you sound so angry? I'm not. It's your damn waterfall. Um, there was a pink marble football on a bronze tee in his office. And, Why was uh, it pink? I I don't know. It was just a marble football with uh, cotton laces. And he had a wait. Pianist. So there's a giant marble football that they put cotton laces on. This none of this makes sense. Why would I don't think be, it was. I don't they, think it was giant. It was just kind of like a centerpiece. Like, okay, it but wasn't why, like a mini like, one. Like so, they drilled holes and put cotton laces. And why didn't they put like a uh, like white granite laces? Yeah, or like different type of stone. They did cotton. That's why you're not fancy. Everyone knows it's about cotton laces. I mean, it's not real. It's not going to look real no matter what you do, especially with it being pink. It's real if you're Andre the Giant. You can still throw that thing over the mountain. I mean, he could throw a truck over a mountain, so I don't know if that's relevant. Um, They had a pianist and a violinist playing Uh, in tuxedos in the lobby. People have accused Donald Trump of not having a penis. Oh, you said pianist. (laughs) Okay. Yes, yes, the pianist. Um... So one visitor asked a Trump secretary one time, can I just skip the slideshow? And she said, no, Mr. Trump would like you to see this. 
<laughs> so, so these guys had to repeatedly watch it over and over again. <laughs> I don't know if they had to repeatedly watch it, but it was kind of like this formality that seemed really unnecessary when you were going to talk about a football team. I imagine, uh, I imagine it being like at Disney World or like one of those rides where they like force you into the uh, that like one room that may or may not have a moving floor, and you have to like stand there and watch the presentation before you can go on the whatever <laughs> ride it like is. Like when you're waiting in line. Like at Tower of Terror, you get that whole uh, uh, Twilight Zone video that plays constantly while you're sitting there waiting in the line. You just have to keep watching it before you get to the actual thing. Yeah. So the slideshow ran, and I quote, It started with, this is Manhattan through a golden eye, says the film's narrator. The and eye only of Sauron? For the, or? Yes, the eye of Sauron, right in the middle of Manhattan. And only for the select few. The scenes of New York are indeed breathtaking. Any wish, no matter how opulent or unusual, may come true. So anyway, if you we, wish upon a trump, <laughs> you'll get some stuff in New York City. So there was a point to this. This, and it's not. Why? I mean, okay. I want to ask you this: What do you think all this is leading to? This slideshow, this ridiculous slideshow. Um, well, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have accused this person of having a, you know, an ego or, you know, inferiority complex. I definitely would never accuse that. Um, I, he's definitely a showman, you know, I will give him that. Um, like, are you talking about this, like, just the ridiculous of it? Is this just gonna Yeah, it, it actually wasn't like an intro video to explain who Trump was, because that's, when I was reading this, I thought originally, I was like, oh, he's imagine, this to I show people who he is and what he's about. I imagine just being a presentation like, look at me, I got more money than you. And him holding up his middle finger at the world because, you know, he came, well, he was a rag to riches story. He went from, you know, $1 million to $3 million. Well, actually, it was all a pitch to buy condominium apartments ranging from 600000 <laughs> for a one-bedroom to $12 million for a triplex at Trump Tower created by a visionary <laughs> builder. <laughs> Did he have a free breakfast he made him sit through also? Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, did you see the did you see the slideshow before? It's great. Wonderful. You want to buy an apartment? No, I'm just a reporter. I don't make anywhere near 600,000. Huh. Well, it's nice to have that money, so no. Oh man. I that's actually the most believable Trump thing ever. Like I mean, hey, can if you people imagine? are going to come see me. Let me pitch stuff to them also. Could you imagine being a reporter and you want to ask him questions about the generals and instead you're having to sit through a sales pitch for stuff that you'll never be able to afford and just make you feel bad for not being able to afford it? Um, yeah, but I mean, I feel like, you know, there's some journalism in there. You can open up by talking about that ridiculous thing and then, you know... You, you know, it's just fueling the fire, but that—that's probably the most. Trump I mean, it's thing like it's—it's it's like what are you gonna say after that? You're gonna walk in like, so you're a real estate guy, huh? I would have never guessed by all <laughs> the sales you were trying to do. <laughs> so the the New York Times article, and like this one was from 1984 as well. So this was actually, you know, like a, it was an article from the time. Um, it kind of oh, goes oh, really? into some. Uh, what gave that yeah, away? It kind of goes in, probably the ter the word used plush probably was a sign that that was from the 80s because no one calls anything plush anymore. Yeah, the stuff when people talk about plushies now is, uh, or plushes now, you know, is a little more disturbing. 
so the article kind of goes into more information about real estate purchases and blah bitty bleep blop blop. It takes a minute to get to the actual team. Ooh, I love bleep blop bleep but, bleep blop. Uh, we'll continue on from there. In the two and a half months since he bought the Generals uh, of the one-year-old USFL, the purchase price was estimated eight or nine million. He's created headlines on the sports pages and interests, presumably among fans. It seems apparent that he has also stirred consternation among rivals of the NFL. Consternation? Oh, boy. <laughs> they gave him real consternation face. <laughs> he has done this by hiring or trying to hire, or possibly hiring. That's a weird way Wait, to write that's, that. Wait, that's a real sentence? Yes, that's a, that's a quote. That's a quote from the article. He has done this by hiring or trying to hire, or possibly hiring, some of the most prominent members or former members of the NFL. Sounds like he was probably on the like the last one of those. Trying it sounds to like he should have had somebody proofread that and be like, "That's too many explanations for maybe doing something." If only newspapers had some kind of. Um, yeah, if only there was a way to check what I wrote, then that wouldn't have been so bad. Uh, he tried to woo. Uh, sorry, he tried to woo Don Shula from the Dolphins to coach his club, and replace Chuck Fairbanks. When you say woo, I'm imagining him like actually like hiring like a concerto or something and like going and just playing like music to to Don Shula. So he showed up in Miami with a bouquet of flowers and some chocolates and was like, hey, hey, Shula. Now, now I'm imagining him standing like outside his window with a boombox. Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting there playing uh, like dolphin noises, like <laughs> he's like, "See, I respect what you've done in your career." <laughs> and then Don Shula is looking through the window, and he's like, "Trump, you know I didn't coach actual dolphins, right? That's a football team." Hey, <laughs> he didn't get Shula, but wound up hiring Walt Michaels, the former coach of the New York Jets and a popular New York fi figure. This was a very newsy catch. Newsy, okay. Newsy, yeah. I was hoping you would see that. I, this guy, this guy's writing style is just this is, this unreal. Is, this is like what newspaper was this from? Like this was the, the New York Times. This the, wasn't like oh, the New York Public bad. High School two ninety. I've read like I've read college newspapers that were better written than this. This is bad. Like now when he said Newsy, like I'm imagining some like <laughs> small orphan boy on the street, like. Hey, I got extra, you extra, Shula spurns Trump. Read all about it. New Jersey Generals run by Donald Trump. Donald Trump tries to sell you real estate when you want to talk about the football team. Don Shula turns him down. Donald Trump says you're fired anyway. And <laughs> Last Wednesday, Trump reeled in Brian Seip, the standout quarterback from the Browns, for a reported $1.9 million over two years with an option for a third. Then and that, Dave, sentence is, that sentence is great. Standout quarterback from the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Things you don't hear today. Um, hey, they have a standout quarterback now. Did you not see Baker Mayfield? We're all supposed to be obsessed with him right now. Uh, oh, I thought you were You missed our last episode where we talked about, about Baker Mayfield for 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, what is there not to talk about Baker Mayfield? You He's know? so dreamy. I wish yeah. Derek was here to tell us how all, dreamy he was. All five foot of him. Or is he still alive? Uh, he also <laughs> said... <Wait. Baker> <laughs> <laughs> Rip. 
<laughs> he also signed Dave Lapham, a veteran guard of the Bengals, to protect site. The signings were announced at a news conference at Giant Stadium where the Generals played that drew a large number of television and newspaper reporters. Earlier, he acquired Gary Barbaro, a highly regarded free safety from the Chiefs, for a three-year $825,000 contract. And on Friday, he acquired two more National Football League players whose contracts had expired, Bobby Leopold and Willie Harper of the 49ers. He's just, like, picking clusters of people from, like, different teams. Yeah, he's just tossing money everywhere. I I also have no idea if any of these people were actually, like, good or if it was, like, hiring a, a, like, a serviceable type person. Well, tell me if this name sounds familiar. Then there is a report from a reliable source that he has signed Lawrence Taylor of the Giants to a contract that would begin when the star linebacker's current contract is up. See, that one sounds super not reliable no it was true and the funniest thing about it is they did it he did it without like talking to the giants at all and so when the giants found out that lawrence taylor had been lured away to the generals they were pissed well they ended up what did trump do like take him and his you know 14 year old to the (laughs) to the movies that would be his girlfriend uh, no, he actually, like, he went and talked to him without telling the Giants, offered him this big contract, and he agreed to sign it. Well, when the Giants found out about it, they ended up going up to Trump Tower and be like, hey, you can't steal our star player away. And so they ended up paying out the uh, signing bonus that Lawrence Taylor had gotten from Trump. They ended up paying it back to Trump with also, like, $500,000. So he actually made money by stealing Lawrence Taylor. Wow, that actually, like, do you think he knew that that would happen? Because that sounds very shady. That's very, like, non-professional. Yeah, it sounded like he, it sounded like he had a good idea there. Uh, so it was supposed to be in 1987 or 88 when he was going to join the Generals, but that never happened because the Giants bought him out. Uh, uh, Tr- Trump said no one time? knows. Huh? Well, we'll get there. Uh, Trump said, but no one knows if we signed him. Actually, only three people know. That's Lawrence, his agent, and me. And I can just see him saying that with a wink. I'm. That's like. It's. It's great to see that this man has not changed the way he like talked in thirty years. Oh yeah. They, then the guy, the reporter asked again, "Have you signed him?" And Trump gave a sly smile and said, "All I can tell you is no comment." <laughs> Oh, man. I'm picturing all this in my head right now. (laughs) That's one of them head movies. I mean, it it all tracks here. It definitely sounds like the Donald Trump we know and love today. Um, The article continues. He is clearly enjoying the mystery he has created and the attention he is causing. Wait, did you say misery? (laughs) No, mystery. Oh, I think you said misery. You cut up for a second. I was like, whoa. This this guy's like really laying it on thick. <laughs> He's gonna burn it to the ground. Um, I guess it's been established that I have some certain promotional characteristics. Trump said the publicity is created surrounding Taylor is, and it's play. It seems plain his idea of creating an illusion. Taylor is someone we'd very much like to have. The kind of person the generals need," said Trump. He is an established great player, defensive player in the year of the year in the NFL for three years. And maybe the best player in the league. He's only 23, and in three years he'll be in his prime. Actually, at the time, Lawrence Taylor was 24. 
<laughs> um, I also feel like you know if you like when he's twenty eight, he probably wouldn't have been in his prime. He'd probably been more at his prime in like you know his early twenties. Yeah, especially at like a linebacker position where injuries are going to start taking a toll. But Trump always says he loves sports, and in a way, I kind of believe that he does. But I don't necessarily think he understands all the aspects of it. I think he's one of those guys who's like, oh, I love sports, football, blah. Like, oh, do you watch this? Oh, no. That's for poor yeah. people. Uh, for Trump, this seems the, to be the kind of activity that made the Jets and Sonny Werblin, their former owner, so successful. Sonny created something, said Wait, Trump. Wait, was he saying lies made them successful? Because that's basically what he was doing. I think the I think they meant, like, the media circus is what made them successful, like bringing in Joe Namath. Which is what he's about to talk about. He goes, Sonny created something, said Trump. The AFL was new like the USFL, and Sonny got Joe Namath, who not only had star quality, but a winning quality, and built with that. I think Taylor would be in that mold for us. Um, the reporter continued by asking, and Sipe, the quarterback from the Browns, and he said, Sipe is a good quarterback, and the generals were weak at quarterback last year. He will be a great plus for us, and he'll be able to help spring Herschel Walker for runs. It, it was a real coup getting Brian, and Cleveland still wanted him bad. And I think that's important to remember because we haven't talked about it for a while, but this is only one year after Herschel Walker had signed with the Giants, so Herschel Walker is very much a factor on this team. Trump admitted, however, that Joe Theismann, the Redskins quarterback, would, has been, would have been his idea of a star-quality quarterback. But right now, said Trump, he's taken. Now think about that that's for a, a wait, second. That's a whole lot of confidence, you know. And the uh, it's like, oh, we wanted Deisman, but you know, we'll settle for this guy. But it's not even that. Think about if history was a little bit different, and Lawrence Taylor and Joe Theismann ended up on the same team instead of Lawrence Taylor ending Theismann's career. I mean, they might have still like their careers might have just ended together instead of. Like one person ripping the other person's like leg off. I can guarantee that Joe Theismann's career would have lasted longer if uh, Lawrence Taylor hadn't snapped his leg like a little twig. Um. Yeah. That. Uh. Yeah. Man, but it wouldn't. That wouldn't like leave one of the most you know disturbing images in your brain. Yeah. Then all we would have to go on is the Willis McGahey injury, which was more uh, disturbing anyway. God, that looked like a rubber band. Rubber band man. Wild as the <laughs> Taliban. Uh, Trump what? said he bought the- <laughs> It's a T.I. song. Sometimes I like to take that song and read it really white. It just sounds really funny. Like, rubber band man, wild as the Taliban. Nine in my right, 45 in my other hand. I'm in trouble, man. Always in trouble, man. Yep, you read that very white. See, it, it was awkward. Ta- you tally my banana. And that's how we just lost 20 listeners in one interpretive reading of a rap song. Well, I imagine you were doing some, like, dancing with it as well. That if people knew you was, as well as I did, it's a really good image. It's some hand dancing. There's always hand way. dancing involved. Uh, Trump said he bought the generals because it was a challenge. And a life is a challenge. <laughs> real quote. That's a real quote. I thought you added the life is a challenge. Part. <laughs> no, no, he, he, he described his life as a challenge. 
Oh, it must be so tough, like, starting out with money and then getting more money. Oh, woe is him. <laughs> That's when you have to create your own challenges by build, buying a football team from a fledgling league that's probably going to fail. It's like, yeah, this, and, this could be hard. And marrying a woman to where you have a incredible uh, language barrier. <laughs> Actually, I don't challenge. know when his first wife, like, I'm not Russian. Uh, was she? I I don't. I thought he's always been married. I think he switched to mail order brides like after the third or fourth one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. The price of foreign shipping or international shipping had gone down, and that really helped Trump find his wife. Well, what happened is they were able to improve, you know, over um, the the transatlantic stuff. So you know, they didn't die in the box. They they made it to America. Uh. He also, s- <laughs> <laughs> he also said he did not buy the generals to make a lot of money. When he was on a recent sports forum with George Steinbrenner, the Yankees' principal owner, Trump said that everyone knows sports is a bad business and no one goes in it to make money. Okay, Steinbrenner piped up <laughs> and said, I did. So tell, he- <laughs> tell that to Jerry Jones. <laughs> He just big league George Steinbrenner, one of the greatest like sports owners in the history in terms of making money. He's sitting there just big leaguing him in his own uh, his own city. That that's actually pretty great considering like the Yankees have had the highest payroll of, yeah. of like any team for like ever and are probably still playing paying off people who haven't been on their team in thirty years. So Trump responded with, maybe some of Georgia's other businesses aren't doing so well, but in comparison to many other businesses, the profit from sports are relative peanuts. Oh, my God. This is pretty great. Confidence is not a problem for Donald Trump. Wow. Like, this guy, is his head is so far up his ass, like, he can still see out of out of his, like, own head because it just made, like, a full loop. It's like an infinity symbol. It just keeps going and going. an Ouroboro. I think that's uh, what that is. So why get involved? For one thing, Trump admitted that pub- the publicity that sports generates can help his other businesses. I hire a general manager to help run a billion-dollar business, and there's a squib in the papers. I hire a coach for the football team, and there are 60 and 70 reporters calling to interview me. So he basically admits there that most of this was for publicity. Whoa, you telling me Donald Trump was all about publicity? I mean, I totally thought that, you know, his his show um, was just to, to train celebrities to be, you know, great business people. He really wanted to bring quality football to New Jersey. That was his plan. He probably, like, never even went to the games. Like, Ugh, I don't want to go to Jersey. <laughs> uh, he said, I could have bought an NFL team. There were three or four available. They still are available, including, of course, the Dallas Cowboys. Think about that. What if in another world, uh, Donald Trump owned the Cowboys over Jerry Jones? Oh, wait, it would basically be the same thing. Well, they probably wouldn't have won any Super Bowls, but also if they had Jerry Jones, they probably, or if they didn't have Jerry Jones, they might have won a couple more. So, Yeah, the only Super Bowl they would have won was the golden toilet in the in the uh, <laughs> owner's box at, at the stadium in Dallas. I mean, but you can argue that Jerry Jones taking over the team kind of, like, they did pretty good for a little bit, but then he, like, ran off people and then got too involved. Uh, in the same interview, Trump said, I could have bought an NFL club for 40 or $50 million, but it's established, and you would like to see it move laterally. Or, and you would just see it move laterally, sorry. Not enough to create there. 
So he's basically trying to say that because the NFL is already so established, the teams can't really become big money makers. They just kind of stay at the same profit margins. So what you're saying is Donald Trump invented hipsters. <laughs> yeah, he was like, the, he's, yes, exactly. He's like, the NFL is too popular for me. Got to find a smaller league and make it my own thing. Well, he didn't want to make the NFL great again. That's lame. <laughs> uh, the generals he thought were different. The league is in its infancy and could even be profitable, given that the less than $10 million he bought it for uh, could help build a team that he hopes could challenge the NFL, and there would there bear, uh, sorry thereby would be worth in the neighborhood of $50 million. So that's actually not a terrible idea. Can we agree on that? Yeah, but he bought the team for $10 million. He probably like was paying people quadruple that. Like That's true. He was team. putting a lot of money in player salaries like at the other owners, but I kind of see his thought process, although it seems a little bit of wishful thinking to think that this secondary league that hasn't been around forever is going to all of a sudden catch up to the same popularity as the most popular sports league in the United States. I guess they were close enough to the expansion and like the, the merging that they thought that it was, you know, still relevant enough to make a team since then people have kind of given up on doing anything that's not the NFL but and I think that was part of his thought process which we'll talk about later on but a part of me thinks he was also planning on eventually um, challenging the NFL enough that there would be a merger and then his team would actually become an NFL team and that would be his big money maker I thought I had heard somewhere that like he really wanted to get in the NFL and that was like his whole scheme yeah and we'll get to that but that was definitely something that he wanted, but um, well, yeah, we'll get to that. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the fun. Um, so he said, "I feel sorry for the poor guy who is going to buy the Dallas Cowboys." Jerry Jones. <laughs> I imagine them like hating each other before they even knew each other. Just yeah. Like hearing, I mean, I don't think people really knew who Jerry Jones was anyway, because when he just some like kid who borrowed some money from his dad and bought a team. I could just see. Trump like talking bad about him and be like that podunk dumbass gonna buy the Cowboys and I don't know why I just gave Trump a southern accent but I'll go with it anyway well you know because he really appeals to the you know the southern uh, you know intentions you know I when he talks I definitely put a southern accent on him because you know that's definitely the smartest accent you can put on someone <laughs> he said it's a no-win situation for him because if he wins well so what they've won through the years and if he loses which seems likely because they're having troubles he'll be known to the world as a loser wow make america's <laughs> team great again so meanwhile the usfl is still a risky proposition can it make it in springtime play there are many who believe it cannot what I like is for people to tell me something can't be done when I think it can, said Trump. In real estate, you deal with some very smart, very devious people. They're the sharpest wolves in the world. I've competed against them, and I've come out fine. Sports is small <laughs> potatoes compared to that. I still have to devote 95, 95% of my time to real estate. Sharpest wolves? I'm like, this is the sharpest wolves in the crayon box. Like, what? <laughs> but if I spend most of my time on football like a lot of the NFL guys do, I think it would be a cakewalk. I really Whoa. do. He, Whoa. The, Whoa, the NFL guys spend most of their time on football? Who the funk? He always smalls <laughs> ball he always small balls whatever like whatever stirs him away. Like 
Think about his presidential election. The whole time he was like, this is easy. I can do this. Look, I'm a real estate guy. I know how to do everything. I can do this. And then when he wanted in the NFL, he's like, yeah, the NFL is too easy. I want a challenge. I'm going to join the crappy USFL and make it into a worldwide, like, worldwide thing. So are you saying America just one big, like, real estate experiment for him? <laughs> I, I honestly the part of me thinks that he ran for that office just because he was like how far can i go let's see how far i can go it was a joke that got out of hand yeah exactly <laughs> um he believed that in a, and this is a quote from trump again in the couple of months i've been with the generals we've already established a credibility we didn't have before the team had a 6 and 12 record in 1983 but he believes the team is much stronger now Ticket sales are great. We've got 25,000 sold, and we aren't even into training camp yet. We're hoping for 40 to 50,000. Mm-hmm. You don't just jump up 25,000. Exactly. <laughs> in like two weeks. Oh my god. <laughs> so he was at. They were at 25,000 sold before training camp. The problem with that is last the year before that in '83, the ticket sales were 34,000. And Trump explained that as well. That was because of Herschel Walker publicity. But when the team didn't win, it punctured enthusiasm. So he's sitting here thinking it's going to be bigger than last year. And yet it was 10,000 tickets down from the year before when the league just started in the inaugural season. Is he talking about um, like season tickets or individual games? It was season tickets, I believe. Oh, that's not good. Um, People are hungry for a winning football team in New York. I'm sure that they'll support it. There's a void today in New York, and the NFL, with all its parity, it's becoming equal and boring. I remember when I used to love to watch the Green Bay Packers in their great years. You like to watch excellence, not everyone being equal. And if you rooted whoa, for an underdog whoa, team whoa. to beat them, it are was inspiring. Me, are you telling me that uh, people don't like to watch terrible stuff? Yes, essentially he's saying he's a Golden State Warriors fan. <laughs> if this is true, if he still believes this, he definitely loved when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors because he sounds like he just wants to see one team dominate the whole league and watch their excellence. He would have liked the early years of the NBA. But, you know, on a side tangent, do you ever notice that with, like, famous people or, like, really successful people? They all seem to be, like, Celtics, Warriors, Yankees fans like that. Like, only us losers that are, like, middle class and, you know, not – not famous sit here and root for teams like the Redskins or the Saints that are perennial losers, even though the Saints won a Super Bowl and are doing good now. But you know what I mean? It's like the regular people are going to root for any team, but if you're famous, you have to root for the greatest teams of all time. You can't just root for who you like. I mean, that's why the Lakers and USC have such a big fan base. See, it's it's a common trend. I've got a conspiracy theory going. I don't know if it's that big of a theory, but it definitely seems to hold some truth. Um, he continued, it's, it's like people going to watch Martina Navratilova play tennis. You know she's <laughs> going to win. I'm laughing at Martina Navratilova, whatever, for the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking of Always Sunny, aren't you? Oh. It's okay. Is, was he her Chris I, Everett? When I put this quote in, I thought about that, too. <laughs> he said, you know she's going to win, but go and you go and watch her for excellence. And if someone beats her, it's a great upset. And that's wonderful, too. Oh, well, no one's beat her drinking 70 beers on a, you know, cross-United States flight. Except for Wade Boggs. 
I think you rest in peace. So in this same article, I'm not going to read any more of the article. I'll just say it kind of sums up with saying that his main idea is that in two, two to four years, the USFL will be competing with the NFL. And he would like to see the schedule move from the springtime to the fall and winter. Um, and <laughs> at the end of it, he wanted, and this is kind of a cool idea. He wanted this to have foreshadowing. a foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. He wanted to have a cross-league championship game was his, like, big dream. So they would both put, compete in the fall. They'd have their Super Bowl. The USFL would have the championship, and then those two teams would meet up for, like, a mega bowl, which I, that's not what he called it. I just gave it that name. But That's actually kind of cool, like, if you don't think about. If you don't think about all the problems in that, it's a great stars. idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, we already finished and won. You want to play another game? Now I'm good. I mean, we already <laughs> won the championship. But the thing is, like, he thought that there were a couple of teams in the USFL that can compete with directly with the NFL. But other than having people like Herschel Walker on a team here or there, the rest of the talent was not nearly the same. So it would have been it would have been ugly. Well, I feel like it's Herschel Walker, like, running up against a bunch of, you know, High school dropouts, though. Yeah, like he's like D two football players. That that was their only opportunity to go pro. Yeah, he would definitely be dominant. So, uh, remember when we first started going through that? That I said all of that was said two and a half months after he purchased the team. Oh wow! So, how exactly was Trump as an owner? Um, I've got a couple of stories to go through that'll give you an idea of what it was like being a player or a coach for Trump. In the offseason prior to 1985, uh, Trump and Walt, Walt Michaels both knew they needed to find a new quarterback. The problem was they couldn't agree on which one. Michaels wanted to see the Generals take Randall Cunningham from UNLV. He was built like a prototypical quarterback, tall and lean, but he was also fast and threw an amazing deep ball. As an added bonus, he would have been the best punter in the league as well. Oh, wow. I never knew he was a punter. You can go back, and he was one of the first quarterbacks that I've seen clips of that did, like, the getting shotgun and then punt the ball, like the quick kick. He was amazing at punting the ball. He really did have a, a talent that was underutilized well, because he was a quarterback. And he was a damn good quarterback at that, so it doesn't really make sense to make him the I punter, mean, it wasn't like back in the olden times when like a quarterback you know, had to play like three sides of the ball. Um, so, go figure. Trump didn't want Randall Cunningham like his coach. Trump was convinced that Heisman winner Doug Flutie had superstar potential and was their guy. He also thought that Flutie was more marketable than Randall Cunningham, which is true because he did play at um, Boston College and had that amazing Hail Mary that, you know, put him on the map around the whole country. So he was a bigger name at the time than Randall Cunningham. Obviously, now looking back on it, Cunningham's clearly the better of those two quarterbacks. I thought Flutie did stuff, but I mean, I know who both those people are, which is kind of surprising considering this is not a league that's currently around. And yeah, it's not a knock at Flutie. It's just Cunningham had better staying power in the league, and he had a couple of seasons that really um, separated him from what Flutie but, did. But, you know, Flutie's got commercials and some um, some guns. You know, he can rock the sleeve of the shirt. <laughs> so Michael was... Uh, 
was getting a little annoyed with Trump and decided to give him a visual demonstration of why Cunningham should be taken over Flutie. He brought in two assistant coaches and pointed to his defensive coordinator who stood about 6'3 and told Trump he wanted a quarterback of that size, not the one the size of his wide receivers coach at 5'9". <laughs> hey, hey, you two, you two, come in here real quick. Come into Trump's office. All right, look at this guy. He's tall. He can see everything. Or you want this little short idiot over here? Can't see anything. Can't really throw the ball. Which one do you want? Trump's like, uh, the short guy. He's like, no, damn it, Donald. You want the tall guy. <laughs> hey, short quarterbacks are good, too. Short quarterbacks got no reason. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a really, nobody's going to get that reference. I'm sorry. Everybody loves Randy Newman. <laughs> Randy Newman. <laughs> that, that was, <laughs> Do you like Dom Flutie? I'm Randy Newman. <laughs> I'm doing a Randy Newman impression out of nowhere. It's probably terrible, but in my head, like, it sounds surprisingly better than I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, after a big, long debate about which quarterback they should draft, the Generals drafted Flutie, and Trump signed him to a six-year six -year deal worth about $8.3 million. That instantly made Flutie the highest-paid player in all of football at the time. Yes, there was a time in the history of the sport that Doug Flutie was paid more than any other player in any football league. It's amazing that $8 million over six years was like the highest paid considering there's people who make that but that's like an 84 85 that's a wild yeah. number yeah i mean yeah no that's a lot of money back then you know back when gas cost 75 cents or something stupid because of richard nixon i don't know my dog's History. even like coughing and almost throwing up when she heard how much flutie was paid well it's probably because she ate like a sock or something she ate a flutie flake <laughs> like do you remember that skin? no he used to have a cereal Doug Flutie used to have a cereal that was sold in all stores and it was called Flutie Flakes is it like it's cereal I'm Doug Flutie yeah it's amazing it's funny because we don't really think about it but in the, like the early 90s late 80s early 90s Doug Flutie was like a major celebrity. It's insane to think about that because he wasn't that spectacular of a quarterback, but he was very, very popular. He should have, um, he should have like got a nickname like the Pied Piper or something, you know, because of the the flute part. I'm just gonna let you sit in that joke for a second. I I thought it was funny, but you know, you know, that's no, all that matters. We're not right? we're not starting calling Flutie the Pied Piper. I mean, it's only like 30 years too late. In his rookie year, uh, Flutie would earn nearly 40% more than Joe Montana would in that NFL season coming off of a Super Bowl win. The Generals bought oh. radio ads calling Flutie the Miracle Man and held an extravagant press conference in Trump Tower to announce his signing. Uh, the league commissioner was in attendance, and Coach Michaels presented Doug Flutie with a gift-wrapped playbook at the event. <laughs> Here you go, Doug. Here's your playbook. <laughs> we wrapped it in the we wrapped it in the paper with little footballs on it. 
Oh man, I'm imagining like some secretary or something going out there and be like, this is the stupidest thing. I went to Harvard and now I'm wrapping a playbook. That's like giving somebody that's going to college a gift and they open it up and it's a textbook. They're like, here you go, have fun, I mean, buddy. Textbooks are expensive, man. I mean, I would be excited if someone gifted me a textbook. Especially would you be excited if someone know, gifted you a playbook? Well, considering they probably print it out on their Xerox machine and put it in a binder, no, I wouldn't be. <laughs> um, going back to how Trump was with the rest of the team, he didn't always conform, conform to the kind of unwritten rules of a football team. After one game, he had his son Donald Jr. and a few of his friends taken down to the locker room to meet Herschel Walker, and he wanted them to meet him immediately. The kids were dressed like tiny businessmen in blazers and ties. An assistant coach took the group through the locker room of reporters and half-naked players and interrupted Walker's post-game interview to let them meet him right then and there. <laughs> that is an image. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining, just imagining these, these kids little in the... children just walking through a giant crowd, a, a crowd of giant men, and just being like, "Hey, I just wanted to talk to you real quick, Mister 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 Horseshoe." I'm imagining them as how I see them now. So I'm imagining some balding kid in a like a super stuffy suit just walking through a locker room. There's all these like people with just wearing towels. And be like, oh shit, there's kids in here. That's I mean that's so like for a kid that takes all the fun out of going to a football game. Like, daddy, daddy, can I wear um, a New Jersey General shirt? He's like, no, put on your business suit. We got work to do. <laughs> You're gonna go meet Herschel Walker, and you better look presentable. Now, a lot that of this is absurd. A lot of this sounds like we're bashing Trump, but in a few ways, he was actually a very good owner to the players, uh, the staff, and the league. He brought a media presence that was second to none, and during his tenure as the general's owner, the team went twenty-five and eleven. That was coming off the season prior, where they were six and twelve. Uh, he had well, good relations. You know, winning games is totally 100% on the ownership and not on any of the support staff. Well, since the owners were shelling out the player salaries, it was partially on him because he was willing to put up the money to make the team successful. So he had that going for him. Uh, he had a good relationship with the guys that played for him. The average player didn't see much of Trump. Uh, though most of them only had brief exchanges with the owner, but they were usually always pleasant as he passed through the locker room after wins. Uh, one, once after a game, Trump stopped by the trainer's room to check on John Joyce, the linebacker who had injured his knee. Trump talked with the doctor and said as he left, listen, make sure John gets whatever he needs. And Joyce later quoted saying, you're thinking, all right, this guy is in my corner and he's got my back. And in a lot of tents and purposes with the players, he did have their back and was willing to shell out money for medical expenses and stuff like that to take care of him. So I thought you were going to follow up with like, and then he cut him three hours later. No, no, he actually, he was, he was legitimately good to his players. And notice that I keep saying players because we're about to have something that comes up that is part of the team, but not the players or the staff. So we're going to get there. Uh, none of those relationships were as close as he and Herschel Walker's. The two became friends, and Walker used to take Trump's kids out to places like the zoo. 
He basically bought a babysitter. Yeah, well, yeah. But it was all it was all Herschel Walker's idea. He said he and his wife didn't have kids of their own at the time, and he liked and he was from a big family growing up, so he actually liked spending time with uh, with the Trump the Trump kids hey, and kind of getting to be these, a rented dad every once in a while. Let's take these spoiled white kids that wear suits everywhere to the zoo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during one training camp in Orlando, Herschel, his wife, Donald, and the kids all went to Disney World. To keep up appearances, Donald wore a suit in the heat and only allowed himself to be seen without the jacket. So he's in Orlando at the beginning of summertime at Disney World, one of the hottest places on earth when you go in the summer, and he's wearing a full suit and only takes off his jacket occasionally just to cool down. Well. You, you can't, to be fair, if you're wearing a suit anywhere in Florida in the summertime, you don't want to take the jacket off because it, otherwise you're just going to see, oh, this guy's shirt's a different color now. Yeah. Or look at those tit stains. Yeah, it, <laughs> it probably looked like he dipped half his body in the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride that was there at the time. <laughs> With the mermaids? Yeah, the mer. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they had mermaids and they had the stupid submarine for twenty thousand leagues under the sea, and you could like go climb in it and do a yeah. ride around the lagoon. And side note, and I don't know why I know all this, but on that ride, they found out like early on that fish had trouble surviving in that lagoon, so they put animatronic fish and animals in the lagoon, and that's what you would see when you went on the ride. I, so instead of having real fish, you'd be just animatronics. I- I somehow know all this information too, and I don't know why. There must have been some kind of like force read article or something, because I somehow know everything you just said, and I don't know why we know so much about a ride that existed before we were alive at Disney World. Hey, I, there was there was a time where I got really interested into like Disney World and Disneyland history. It's some great stuff to look up. That place has had some ridiculous flops and failures that are just really funny to read about. There was didn't they make a whole park that failed, like like as a part of like a whole section that just failed? Um, well, yeah, they also had this ride. Remember when they opened up California Adventure, like in the early two thousands, or maybe it was like the late nineties. They had this ride that they were planning for the opening of the park called Superstar Limo, and. Yep. Yep, I seen that one too. That so, one's amazing. So the concept of that, and I know you know, but let's we'll, we'll let everybody else in on the secret. The concept of that was you were gonna it was gonna be a fast ride in the dark, kind of like Space Mountain, and you hopped in a limo. And the whole concept of the ride was you were running around or driving around um, Hollywood, being chased by paparazzi, and um, you were trying to avoid getting yourself caught in like a sticky situation with the paparazzi. So. They were trying to take your picture, and you were speeding through the city. Oh, Trump doesn't like sticky situations. You're going to ask Stormy. <laughs> but do you know why that ride failed? Because uh, it ended up, they said it was too fast or something stupid. No, no, it's so much better than that. A couple of months before the park opened and that ride was oh, going to be yeah, open, I remember that. Yeah, Princess I remember, Diana oh. died in her incident where she'd been driving in a limo through Paris and being chased by the paparazzi. So then they had planned it way before that happened, but they couldn't put it out because it would have been in poor taste. I remember that. That was That's probably one of the greatest like bits of overcorrecting. But like what's funny about it is like the whole, they should have scrapped the whole ride, and then they just made it the most unbearable thing ever. And it was yeah. Stupid. Then they have like fake sets and like 
terrible painted like yeah they had like b-list and c-list animatronic celebrities like um uh uh whoopi goldberg was in there and drew carey and just like terrible celebrities that no one cares about that did not look like whoopi goldberg no none of them looked like they were supposed to but yeah i mean how that's just the chances of that happening, like you think of a totally original ride, which at the time you never heard about somebody dying because of a paparazzi chase, and then one of the biggest celebrities, not just, you know, like not in the country, but in the world, had that exact thing happen to them. I mean, it's just ridiculously bad fortune. Hashtag not my princess. <laughs> Ooh. You, 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 better, you better sleep with your doors locked. That's going to piss people it was, off. It was a, hey, here's another thing. It was a setup. She was murdered. Uh, this isn't a conspiracy theory show. The queen, the queen cut the brakes herself in in her yep. fancy like Easter colored. Oh, tug that pantsuit dress thing that she wears. So back on track. Financially, the generals were on solid ground compared to the rest of the league. Most teams had a problem paying their players. It was so bad that most players were on other teams would race to cash their checks the night they got them in case they bounced. <laughs> the like it just it's so funny because they have the teams that have these huge name people and then i'm just imagining these players like i gotta like, get to running, the bank running to like cash their checks like yeah that's pretty funny oh a dog likes that too oh he's being a real turd right now uh a turdy for turdy uh, Trump hired a team president and gave him access to anything he needed to build the best team possible. All in all, the players and the football staff of the Generals had it pretty good. The cheerleaders, on the other hand, had an interesting story we're going to get into real quick. Oh, no. <laughs> as one of his first acts as owner, Trump was staging a competition to select the team's cheerleaders. Oh, Hundreds no. of beautiful women had shown up for the first round. Ivana Trump uh, was designing the uniform. She was Donald's wife at the, t- the time, not to be confused with Ivanka Trump, who's his wife now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you have to keep the name similar so he can actually remember who, who his wife is. Uh, um, the team president, Jimmy Gold. I think Jimmy you're Gold, confusing also, Iv- Ivanka's his daughter. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, no. That he loves very much and would marry her if she wasn't his daughter. I'm so sorry, Mr. President. Uh, (laughs) You're going to wind up dead somewhere. (laughs) Did you call my wife Ivanka? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Why did I get a tiger there? I would, but I can't. (laughs) Oh, man. Jimmy Gold, the team president, suggested the greatest name for the cheerleading group for the generals. And I mean just the greatest greatest wonderful fantastic name of the trumpets oh whoa i'm waiting for this to turn on the story of like how the miss america beauty pageant started well let's continue on then uh trump (laughs) turned turned (laughs) the final round into a whole event girls lined up everywhere around the trump tower we were like two kids in a candy store gold said <laughs> At least he admitted oh, that's so further. uncomfortable. Oh man! Trump invited the media and stocked the judging panel with celebrities. His newest offensive lineman, his wife, the artist Leroy Naiman, the opera singer Beverly Sills, and Andy Warhol. <laughs> 
Andy Warhol. Oh. Yeah. The judges gave scores as the girls danced to the, all to the same song, Michael Jackson's hit, Billie Jean. Warhol had purposely arrived two hours late to the event. He wrote in his published diaries that he had gone to church that morning and taken his time coming over because he hated the Trumps for not buying some of the paintings he had done for Trump Tower. <laughs> Why did he agree to do it? <laughs> the fact that Warhol went to the event at all tells you everything you need to know about Trump's status, though, in New York City during the 80s. He was big time. I mean, Andy Warhol was kind of, you know, he wasn't, like, out and about all the time. And the fact that he would even make it over to that event with someone he hated is telling you just how much publicity Donald Trump was bringing in. He needed to pay more weird art. You know, more more Campbell soups. Yeah, and uh, our bananas or whatever. Um, the cheerleaders claim that Trump lied to them too. During their first season, eleven of the thirty cheerleaders staged a walkout, saying Trump had not delivered on promises to arrange acting jobs, modeling gigs, and television appearances for them to supplement their modest pay. Instead, they said they were forced to wear skimpy outfits and entertain drunks at local bars. They felt unsafe. Actress Lisa so he Edel hired all these women and turned them into strippers. <laughs> yeah, he basically did what Dan Snyder and the Redskins did like t five or six years ago. Remember when that story came out? It's essentially like that. Like, hey, you're going to a bikini shoot, but you're also going to impress all my friends by hanging out with them and being dressed sexy. Uh, actress Lita Lisa Edelston, who had been one of the younger cheerleaders, told the Huffington Post in 2007 that Trump treated them like a bunch of hookers. Uh, I mean, that seems kind of par for the course with him. Um, that wasn't the only exciting thing that Trump was working on, though. During <laughs> that same time... <laughs> Not the only exciting thing was working on. Uh, during like that same just, time... You, you lump the exploitation of women and him <laughs> taking advantage of these girls who were trying to like become models and stuff. Yeah, it's it, an exciting thing. Like, <laughs> let's go back to what I said earlier. The players and the staff were treated great. Everyone else around the organization did not have that same luxury. Uh, during that same time, Trump also did a few things that would have made Brian Colangelo proud. <laughs> he uh, wore big collars. I wrote that line myself, and I was pretty happy about it. Yes. No, he didn't write big collars. After or wear big collars. After Flutie had struggled the first year, a publicist and vice president of the Trump organization began calling the media and saying the other owners had asked Trump to sign Flutie for the good of the league. And that they had, had made a verbal agreement with Trump to help pay for part of the contract. Wait, what? Yeah, the guy's name that was calling with these quotes was John Barron. And he also said when a guy goes out and spends more money than a player is worth, he expects to get partial reimbursement from the other owners. Uh, Trump later said that Barron was misquoted that he had never said he had paid Flutie more than he was worth. Wait, Barron, that name sounds familiar. It should because that's the name of his son. And it was also discovered recently that John Barron was actually just a character Trump was playing himself. And he was basically going out and having a burner. Uh, he had a burner publicist instead of a burner Twitter account where he would go and talk shit about his players. Wait, so this guy was, like, answering phones? And, I mean, they didn't have, like, email back then. But, like, responding to people probably over voice. Like, yes, he was making calls and doing interviews uh, under the name John Barron, a publicist for the Trumps. But it turned out it was just Donald Trump himself. 
I imagine him trying to do a very terrible impersonation of a different voice and it still sounding exactly like still being Trump voice, but like yeah, like like the reporters get off the phone with him. We're like, damn, that guy sounds a lot like Trump. That was weird. Yeah, he made all these weird random pauses, and I could see his hands moving in my head. So the reason why he did that was he was actually trying to find uh, some way, anyway, to get a refund for his quarterback. <laughs> so he was hoping he could like somehow get the league to partially pay for Flutie's contract or get a full reimbursement because he didn't like the product that was out on the field. <laughs> oh man, this is this is like amazing. I I feel like I wouldn't believe this had like he not done a lot of stuff to corroborate cor- corroborate <laughs> corroborate. So, are you starting to ask yourself what happened to the USFL yet? Are you ready to see how this thing all comes together? I'm pretty sure I'm aware of what's happening, and it's probably all going to fall on a single person's shoulders. So, a few years after all the stuff we had talked about happened, uh, Pete Rozelle, the commissioner of the NFL, came out and said that Trump had approached him about buying the Baltimore Colts. Trump tried to spin those comments by saying Rozelle had, in fact, tried to woo him into an ownership. Uh, This little spat that they had in the media kind of paints a picture of some of the decisions that Trump made um, after the 1985 season. So before the 1986 season, Trump pushed his fellow owners to move the games to the fall and and compete directly opposite the NFL. Bold bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. He famously said, if God wanted football in the spring, he wouldn't have created baseball. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining there being like, on the seventh day, God created baseball and said, football, go away. (laughs) And as God looked over, as God looked over his creation, he noticed that they had great times in the spring, were but but were bored in the fall. So he created the sport of American football. Um, oh my god! So the league, <laughs> from a guy who probably doesn't seem like he actually like believes that there is a god, that's pretty great. Uh, so the league didn't command as much money uh, in the fall as it even had in the spring. But many people believe that this move was all um, a way for Trump to try to force a merger with the NFL. Uh, After these statements were made, the USFL filed a $1.69 billion antitrust lawsuit against the NFL um, right after the league was announced that it was moving to the fall. Uh, During that time, the USFL was struggling to find a home on TV and for that, for that season, and accuse the NFL of persuading the major broadcasters to not show the games. <laughs> really, <laughs> so it was he just... He pulled out of the existing contract they had. Yeah. And... Realistically, he was mad because TV didn't want to show a inferior product on the same day that the NFL was playing. Okay. I mean, they could have at least done it in a different, like, day. But you, and you also, yeah, they could have done a different day, but you also have to remember there aren't as many TV channels as there are now. Like, it still wouldn't work now because people are not going to watch some secondary league to the, the NFL. But back then, be, it really it wouldn't work. Be, it, it, like, couldn't even interfere with college at this point. Yeah. Uh, the jury in the trial agreed that the NFL had a monopoly on football, but had nothing to do with the USFL's failure to get TV rights. Uh, after the jury, um, after the jury kind of talked about it and came out, uh, 
they decided that uh, sorry I kind of lost my spot there hold on uh, the, okay, the USFL, after the jury um, talked about the USFL was awarded $3 in damages. Well, that, and that was actually $3.67 <laughs> with interest. Why would you add the $0.67? Cents? Also, that was the interest, one that a billion-dollar lawsuit? Well, they originally sued for $1.7 billion, and they got $3.67 out of it. Wow. that's I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you can say you won, but that's kind of like a... That's not face. even a moral victory, though. Yeah, that's like, hey, we won. The trial uh, name only. The trial cost the USFL around two hundred million dollars. That was the the straw that broke the camel's back for the USFLs. USFL players were released from their contracts and allowed to sign in leagues that were not defunct. Players like Herschel Walker, Jim Kelly, and even Flutie. Um, Eventually would go on to be Canadian Football League. Well, Flutie became a Canadian Football League star, and the other two became NFL stars uh, after the USFL died out. Eventually, the USFL won a case that got them their court costs back, but that only amounted to a number between 6 and $10 million. So at the end of the day, even after they appealed it and everything else, they lost about $190 million. So they spent $200 million on lawyers, lost or won, but didn't get any money the first time. So then they started a whole nother case, probably costing a whole bunch more money in lawyers, and won $10 million. So they probably exactly. spent another you know, $100 million on lawyers. Or the fact that they had the balls to appeal that after what had happened just amazes me. Yeah, uh, that's... Uh, yeah. Um, in 2009, Trump agreed to participate in a documentary called Who Killed the USFL? He presumably agreed to try and change the, the narrative that it was mostly his fault that the league sank. That sank. That's the reason um, people think that he did the interview, was to try to convince people that not, not all of this was totally his fault. Which, in ways, it wasn't, but it was mostly his fault. Um, <laughs> it seems like it was entirely his fault. Yeah, I mean, it, it. like I said earlier, it's probably going to fail anyway, but... It would have probably lasted a couple more years. He definitely sped up the process. Yeah, it probably would have lasted a couple more years, or at least another season or something. Um, afterward, he asked the interviewer, Mike Tallinn, what he thought of how the league had folded. Tallinn had worked on the USFL production team and spent time with Trump uh, video... Um, covering him in his owner's box and at Trump Towers that they knew each other. He told Trump that he thought the USFL might have survived if only it had stayed the course and remained a spring league. Trump responded with, that would have been small potatoes, and patted Tallinn on the back and walked out. <laughs> Wait, so didn't he, he didn't even, like, finish? He just kind of, like, left? Well, that was after the interview. So after the interview, he, like, a kind of like an off-the-record type thing. was like, so what do you think, Tall? And he said, you probably should have stayed in the spring. And Trump followed that up with, that would have been small potatoes. Which was, if you notice, that was a common th theme through his quotes when he was talking about sports. He always called sports teams small potatoes. The, I mean, I don't know. I, I got too many questions. Yeah, and there's not enough answers. Uh, the USFL would have probably failed like the original XFL and other leagues that have tried to compete against the NFL after the USFL. Most teams were hemorrhaging money and had issues paying their players. It was really just a matter of time. The sad part is they had the talent that gave them a fighting chance. 
Uh, and you, re- I mean, that is true. They really had more talent than you ever saw the XFL or the USFL I mean, and all those other, not the SFL, that other football league that came up a couple of years ago. None of them had that type of talent that the you USFL had. You listed off several Hall of Famers during that, so. So, um, yeah, so basically, to sum it up, I think it's going to be fun to see what the new XFL and the Alliance of American Football, these new leagues that are popping up, are going to do, but they better not try to go toe-to-toe with the NFL in the fall. That is all, that's kind of like trying to attack Russia in the winter. It's always the thing that seems to sink these leagues. Oh, I did not see that coming. <laughs> but uh, but here, here's the, the thing, though, is the NFL is, while they technically have a stranglehold on the market, people aren't happy with the product, so this is almost really kind of like prime. But, but you still can't take them all in the fall. The no, you can't. And I mean, but two teams starting at the same time, and then, but I mean, the NFL is probably at the lowest it's been in a while, to where people are watching it because it's the only product. But it's be be became a wussification, you know, especially with the stuff that's been happening since the season started with the, the you mean the, the passer and the you mean that time Clay Matthews became a dirty player like Vontae's perfect. Yes, perfect example. So anyway, that was Turdy for Turdy for Turdy and the story of the time Donald Trump owned a football team. What do you think? Wow. That's like he's like a rich kid. Well, I mean, he was a rich you're kid. You're a rich kid uh, and you're going to But like too far. that that just gets a hold of something and doesn't know what they do and they just he destroys beautiful things. But I mean, like you said, the USFL wouldn't have lasted but it would have limped on a little bit longer, so I don't know if he did it a favor or if he didn't, but, I mean, he, this guy, like, has... I can't tell if he's a genius or just stupid. The thing that sticks out to me, because, though, is when he, he, when he joined he the league, he was actually doing some positive things for the league. Like, he was bringing in so much publicity that it was actually growing it, but he couldn't just be satisfied with what they had. He couldn't just sit back and be like, okay, this thing has potential for success if we stay the course. He always has to be bigger than the people <coughs> that are famous in that field. Yeah, I mean. <coughs> and he also it's, it's, was upset that he didn't get in the NFL, which I think had a lot to do with some of the decisions he made towards the end there. But some of that's like, I thought I, I'm pretty sure I read it or I saw an interview with Jerry Jones and like, he didn't pay that much for the Cowboys because teams weren't that expensive back then. So. Well, you've you've obviously heard Trump exaggerate some things before, so. Because I feel like when what's his name when Jerry Jones was talking about it, he was saying he had to like put down two hundred thousand dollars to buy the Cowboys. When it comes to money, total accuracy is not a thing. Donald Trump worries about too much. He's not accurate about anything. Like I mean, he he. His, like, ideas are, are not necessarily wrong, but, like, he just exaggerates so much. And it's like, dude, just, can you, like, say an actual number? Because you're saying some stuff that's right. You're just throwing in some really bogus stuff. But, like, I mean, so, am I wrong in thinking that that basically is cheerleader trials turn into the Miss America? I mean, that America stuff already existed first? before, but he definitely, like, took ideas from that to have a cheerleader tryout. Because, like, I can't remember what, yeah, like you said, I don't know which one started first, but that sounds like Miss America. Because which he also had his name attached to. 
can't you just kind of see him watching that and doing like a weird little hand dance when Billy Jean came on for like the 50th time? Just Billy Jean's <laughs> not my love. Uh, I mean, I'm just imagining that being like all these girls dancing up there with like, like looking disheveled and scared and terrified with like wide eyes and like a bunch of creepy old men and like. Well, remember him like, and the team president were two kids in a candy store. I mean, yeah, like that's a that's a disturbing quote right there. Like, at least have some respect. Like they know what they're doing, you know, sign agreeing to be cheerleaders. But then apparently, if he promised them all this stuff, I mean, the whole thing's absurd. This guy's an egomaniac and probably a sociopath, which most really rich people are sociopaths. You know, that's yes. not me making stuff up. But I mean, the whole thing is just weird. Like, the fact that he was able to, like, have as big a name as he is to bully people into, like, participating and stuff with him. Like, Andy Warhol? That, <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. So. I don't know. The whole thing is absurd. Like, I, I don't understand the... Obs- I mean, I understand why people are doing it, but the obsession with trying to compete directly with the NFL is stupid. Like, it has like I said, it's like attacking Russia in the wintertime. Yeah, it's it's a great story though. It's it needs to be a movie or something. You know they had the NFL draft movie. They should just make that. Well, hopefully we find some more stories to do like that for Turdy for Turdy. I hope everybody that listened to it enjoyed the show. Like I said, this is going to be a common thing with uh, all things football. We're going through a little bit of a concept change, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. And on the next episode, we'll see you back with Derek and Shelby to cover the NFL and what's been going on this week in, in the college and what's been going on this week in football. Maher, any last words? Um, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time, and thank you for uh, stopping by. Mm-hmm.